goodness. Looking at biblical foundations, and this is our verse of the month uh, in Psalm 27, 13. When we think about a creator, and I started last week on biblical foundations, our value and our purpose before the Lord. Whenever someone creates something, they do it for a purpose. Whenever an invention is made, like James Hilliers, who was a Canadian, first successful high-resolution electron microscope, which was invented in North America in 1938, it was designed for a purpose as well as a task. The inventor wanted his object to be used, not just looked at. This is what God did with Adam and Eve. He created for them everything that was good, very good, even noting that. He gave them a task of multiplying and stewarding this earth. There was perfection in the garden, but there was still work to do. And there was an authority to listen to. And as we think about this from the foundation, look with me at Psalm 27, verse 13. I had fainted. Now, the, the, obviously the context here is David is dealing with some real enemies. False witnesses. He said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. A return to our foundations and the fundamentals of the faith, it leads us to be all that we should be for the Lord Jesus Christ and to appreciate what he has given to us. You know what? There's a lot of blessings that you and I have been given that we overlook in our day-to-day living. And as with David here, I had faint unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know what? Some of the hardest times of my life, God has to remind me he's still good. He has to remind me of the blessings that he's given to me when I am quite discouraged. And as we're going to see in this, as we go through and look at this idea of the goodness of the Lord, how do I stop God's goodness on my life? The principle of this morning is stop complaining and being a part of Satan's economy. Start being a thankful person. Now, it is not easy. Uh, It is not something that comes naturally. It is not something that I, of my own flesh, I want to do. But as we think about this, we will understand, and I trust as we look at this, we'll understand, you know what, the greatest way to praise the Lord, the greatest way to please God is to be a thankful person, no matter the circumstances. Let's go to the Lord and ask for His blessing upon this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And Father, I I do need your help to preach your word this morning. And Father, there may be some very heavy hearts watching or listening. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen. Father, I pray that you would draw us ever closer to thyself. Lord, help us to love you more. God, we need you. And Lord, in my own heart, so easily prone to wander, prone to complain. But Father, I pray that as we go through and search your scriptures this morning, Lord, that you would help us all to realize of your goodness. Because we faint when we lose sight of how good you are. I love you and I thank you for all that you'll do. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 
We looked last week at the beginning that God created everything for a purpose and gives purpose for living to all of humanity. You have a purpose for life. The second point is the blessing that God has given everything we need for life. God created everything for a purpose. He created humanity at the pinnacle of His creation. The very last thing that He created, when He created everything else, He created humanity last. Humans hold a very important position with God. Humanity was given the tree of life, a beautiful, perfect world with which to work for the Lord. And as I spoke about last week, you and I are made in the very image of God and made in His likeness. In Genesis chapter 1, if you want to turn with me there to Genesis chapter 1, it can be, and I'm going going through this, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we can hear about some standards that God gives in our lives. But these standards, apart from knowing the God of the standards, we can easily dismiss them as a religious tradition. Uh, We can dismiss them as unimportant. Uh, We can dismiss them as some man-made thing. But when I understand that God made me for a purpose and God has given to me boundaries for my protection, that I have a purpose for the Lord, it gives me a realization, you know what, I think I'll follow. Because he gives me my value and worth in life, what humanity may not. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Unbelievable. God says, I want to make man in my image. I want to make man after my likeness. He says, our likeness. Obviously, the Trinity here, right? In our image, our likeness. Obviously, speaking of the Trinity. But we, as humanity, Adam and Eve, were given dominion over all the earth and all the animals. An exclusive relationship with God in his own image. A child that is born to you is in your own image. It's of your DNA. And God created humanity in His own image. In verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. What did He do? He gave wisdom. He gave knowledge. He gave understanding to make the earth fruitful. He gave, I mean, Adam was born a farmer. He wasn't born a hunter yet because there had not been death. But he was born to subdue, replenish, and know how to deal with the earth. I mean, he was even born a biologist. He gave names to the animals. God gave the responsibility of stewardship. But not only did God give a purpose, not only did God give a partner, he gave provision. Look with me at verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree, in the which is the fruit of of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. God gave a purpose. He knew that Adam would be lonely, so he gave a partner. He gave provision. 
And I'll talk about the partner here shortly, but Adam and Eve had all the herbs and the fruit that they could want for food. I mean, they could go to the grocery store of God's garden and everything and everything that they wanted. It was always fresh. They didn't have to worry about the worms. They didn't have to worry about it ripening too fast. I mean, they had a wonderful garden of everything they needed. In God's universe, apart from sin, there's an abundance of provision and never any lack. And before Adam, though, was given a helpmeet, the Lord had created the boundary and the expression in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. In verse 15, we find that God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. In verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meat for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in help meat for him. And Lord God called, so then we read here, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. So God brought here a partner. In 1 Timothy 2.13, we understand that for Adam was first formed then Eve. But the condition before this relationship, the, the condition of a good relationship was precipitated or there was a boundary that was created beforehand, don't eat this forbidden fruit. God's creating love, right? A love is a choice. If I obey, I'm loving, I, I want to do what he, pleases him. So Adam's love for Eve was first principled by his love for God by restraining from the forbidden tree. She was literally taken from his rib and chosen to be his companion and help. He created Eve for the propagation of the human race, but she was much more than this. She was of the, own, of the you know, obviously the same species, a dearest companion and aid. They were best friends. Verses 24 and 25 talks about the exclusive relationship even of parents. There was a marital harmony. There was no need for clothing because there's no shame in being in the way God created. Clothing actually is an indicator of the curse upon humanity, but still definitely necessary. We also find that God had created sweet peace. In chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because that in, that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So God creates a sweet peace. It doesn't say God was tired. He wasn't weary. God doesn't get weary. But there is a principle that God rested. That's something that you and I need to do. God knew that humanity would need rest. We get tired. I mean, life can be overwhelming. We need a day of rest. In fact, the word here, in a little commentary, the word translated as sanctified, kadash, has the idea of being set apart. The greater idea is not so much the seventh day as such, but rather one day out of seven being set apart for rest and the things of God. Hence, after the resurrection of Christ, the early church changed its weekly holy day from the 7th to the 1st. 
It is noteworthy that the principle of one day in seven being set apart for rest and the things of God goes back to the dawn of the creation, end quotes, David Sorensen. God created a, a, a day for peace and rest. You know what? He knows that you and I would get weak. Uh, he knows that the seven days of, of our life can be very stressful. But something happened. And point number uh, three, the curse. In chapter three, verse one, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Something happens. There must be more. You have absolute, imagine putting yourself into the garden. I, I can't even imagine the beauty and the splendor of this place. But imagine the absolute freedom you have to enjoy as much fruit, grain, whatever you want to eat, you can eat it. You have a, a spouse with no conflict. And you have unmitigated access to the physical presence of the Lord God. I mean, it talks about in chapter 3 that he walked in the garden with them. Uh, Think about this freely. There is no restraint, no limitation. There's no taxes. The only effort that you need to do is to go pick the fruit. And it's perfect in taste. Can you imagine the unbelievable taste of this fruit? As I was thinking about this, I'm getting to a point. I'm trying to create the, the environment for you. I mean, the most delicious fruit, apple, you've ever tasted in your entire life. I mean, it was just juicy. It was full of flavor. I mean, your mouth was just salivating at how good this fruit was. And yet, the Garden of Eden fruit would be multiples greater. There's no pesky insects to bite you to swat away, worms to bore into the fruit. A cool mist over the garden. You don't even need to water it. Perfect temperature for sleeping at night. Ideal lodging situations. I mean, you can sleep under the stars with no worries. God's mercy to humanity even prior to the fall are unparalleled. You know what, when you think about the origins of the world, God could have created humanity in bondage to himself. He could have created, you know, that we, we, we don't think, we don't have a will, we don't have a conscience, we just do as he says. He could have created all females and no males. He could have created all males and no females. He could have created a man with one arm, no arms, hands without thumbs created a perfect design. And the garden supermarket was always stocked with free food at no cost or carbon tax applied. But something happened. Verse 1 is ultimately, there has to be more. And it is the very principle upon which the fall of you and I happens so often. Unthankfulness. What was it that precipitated the evil that we see today? You know, we speak of the serpent and Eve being deceived, but when you think about the scenario as it is, the goodness of God seems without rival. What could possibly rival all the provision and the preparations of God? 
I mean, they had a perfect world, marital harmony. They had everything. There was nothing that was out of place. There was not even a famine. There wasn't a lack of water. I mean, everything was ideal. But verse 1 gets to the point of God, there's not enough fruit. Are you kidding me? I mean, we can look around everywhere you see, there's fruit trees and everything luscious and beautiful and, and wonderful and big, huge apples and I don't even know what else, uh, pineapples and mangoes and you name it, just beautiful, wonderful fruit, everything. And there's one tree that God says, don't touch it, and they said, I don't have enough fruit. I want that one fruit of that one tree that God said, don't have. You know what it was? It was unthankfulness. There was an allure of something more. There was an unhappiness in the way that God created the earth. God, your ways are not ideal. Your provision is not enough. I want of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you and I might think, man, what idiots they were. I mean, how come they couldn't do that? I mean, how come they couldn't see everything God had given? God's command was to eat, freely eat of every tree but one. And Satan construed this to being a limitation and a lack of God's provision. And it was an attempt of thought towards being unthankful. This simple and conniving thought would be further legalized to the prevention of even touching the fruit. Verse 2, and the woman said, under the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now you have two trees in the middle of the garden. Tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. What did she focus upon? She focused upon what is missing from her life. What was not available. So what does Satan do? He offers us a solution to our discontentment. Verse 5. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know what, God? God just doesn't want to give you what you really want. God doesn't really care about your happiness and joy. You know what? Satan's going to give you a solution to your discontentment. He's going to give you something in your life as many people might say, as a coping mechanism. But the coping mechanism is not God. And I'm not looking for the goodness of God, I'm looking for what I don't have. You know what, as I began to think about this, I realized this is the very key to our happiness and joy. Could it be the key to your happiness? Could it be that this apple finally makes me whole? If I just have that fruit, then I'll be happy. If I just have what I don't have now, then I'll be happy. And Eve could very well be thinking, could this fruit, we don't know if it's an apple. If I say apple, I don't necessarily mean it's an apple, but anyways, it just says fruit, so we don't know what it is. Oftentimes pictures represent it as an apple. We don't know what, what it was. But could this fruit be the missing link to the enlightenment of our species? Maybe she's thinking, you know what? God doesn't want me to be a God. 
He doesn't want me to really be happy. Look with me at verse 6 of Genesis 3. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. As I read that poem, that hymn that that lady Anne Steele wrote, though she had encountered unbelievable hardships, she chose to see the goodness of God in some very tough times. What, is one of the, what are some outcomes of unthankfulness? If you look at verse 7, the first thing that they see, and they knew that they were naked, so we find that there's shame. Number two, they sewed fig leaves together. What did they do? They had additional work to do. When you begin to sew leaves or sew stuff together to make clothing, what are you doing? There's extra work beyond what God gave you to do. And you know what that is? When I'm, when I'm unthankful, there's additional work in my life. Because I'm going a path that God doesn't want me to go, and when I go down a hard path, it's always more work than if I would have done it God's way the first time. I mean, you think about it. There's a need to wash the clothes. There's a need to fold the clothes. (laughs) I talked to my wife. She's like, oh, washing clothes and folding clothes, you know, and some of those things. It's, you know, sometimes you'll just see a mound, and that's okay because you're so busy with life, but it all goes back to the garden. They were unthankful. You know what? Something else that happens of unthankfulness is an outcome. In verse 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Number two, there's a fear of authority. Was this ever an issue prior to eating the forbidden fruit? Was there ever a hesitation to enter into God's presence? You know what, when someone has something bad happen in their life, they may become embittered. And they begin to distance themselves from the Lord. They begin to distance themselves from church. They begin to distance themselves from other Christians. And they go their own way. And if they're ever seen by a believer or someone from the church, they're like, ah, get away from me. Because they want their own direction. They don't want any accountability. They don't want authority. And number three, we see there's a loss of godly fellowship. Verse 9, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Here's a fracturing of the relationship of God creating man in his image and likeness. Eve was created out of Adam, so Adam was created in the image and likeness of God, but the fact is there's a loss of godly fellowship for Adam and Eve. He walked in the garden in the cool of the day. I mean, here they are, potentially, I don't know, you know, hand in hand with the Father, the Creator. I mean, the, literally being in His presence And it's fractured. And it goes back to Eve being unthankful. Now, obviously, it's disobedience. But there's also, in verse 10, the fourth point, a loss of innocence. He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Here's a conscience convicted of wrongdoing. Your conscience is the key to your relationship with the Father. You want to see something else that happened? Look with me, verse 11. 
And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Here's the loss of marital harmony on thankfulness with God's provision. Verse 16, God's decree and the curse upon woman and the curse upon man. Verse 16, he said, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. You know what? There's going to be an increase in pain and childbearing. Verses 17 through 19, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened, and the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life, thorns also, and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Here's increased labor and toil to do the job that God had given to, to have the dominion over the earth. Life always gets harder when I'm unthankful. And we also find The last point, number eight, for this section, there's a loss of life. Verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them, so God had to kill some animals to cover their nakedness. The leaves weren't enough. God realized I've got to have a life, right? We understand without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And here is the very first sacrifice so that God can continue to have a relationship with Adam and Eve. What is the fruit of your unthankfulness or mine? It ultimately steers my mind away from all that God has given towards that which is temporary. She had an eternity with God. She had an eternity with her husband in perfect harmony. She had all the provision. I mean, there was no shopping needed. There was no worrying about the vehicle breaking down. There was no worries about, uh, you know, even children and all the pain. And uh, there was no worry about Adam having to, I mean, we go out in the bush and we have to worry, you know, uh, poison ivy or other things that might be out there. None of that was a worry. So she took of the greatness of God who created everything for humanity and his relationship with them. I mean, it's literally like, if you want to think about it, sometimes a guy, you know, with my wife when we got married, I I wanted to get a lot of things ready in the house before I brought her to the house. God had a perfect world before humanity was entered into this. And in my unthankfulness, what I do is I point my eyes to the creation. I want that fruit. But it doesn't point me to the Creator. The very first words of the serpent were intended to instill unthankfulness. It is discontent with my situation and the blessings of God that lead one to further compromises. Well, God didn't do this for me, so I've, I need to do this. God isn't good enough, so I'm going to do this. It is unthankfulness and discontentment that are the very bane of man that that cause us to fall. Everything that Adam and Eve had been given, property, provision, partnership, and peace, and yet they still weren't satisfied. Parents, you can do everything for your child and it will still not be enough at times. Husband, wife, dad, mom, pastor, 
You know, we can labor hard for others and it will never be enough for them. Because and if you think about it, God gave everything perfect and good and it still wasn't enough for Adam and Eve. Look, look with me at Numbers chapter 14. What about, you know, sometimes people say, well, if God did a miraculous thing in my life, then I would be content with Him. If God does this miracle, then I'll be happy. Then I'll get right with God. Then, oh God, you're so good. God, you got me out of an impossible situation. God, you did this. God, and we give praises to God. But is that enough to cause me to never be discontented again? Look with me at Numbers 14, verse 22. The context of this, and I'll give it to you for the sake of time. Uh, Moses has sent the 12 spies into Canaan. They come back. Uh, they're discontented. Because, and so here's the 10 spies who were discontented and said, it's too big, the, the, the giants are too big, the land's too scary. Verse 22, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt. What did God do in Egypt? Twelve, the 10 plagues, deliverance from Egypt, parted the Red Sea, manna in the desert, guidance from the cloud by day, fire by night and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. What else happened in the ten times? There was times where uh, they, they had no water, so they complained against Moses, and God, the first time, he told Moses, hit the rock one time, and poof, out in the middle of desert, God provides water. They whined again. They wanted to kill Moses. So God, Moses, in the second time, gets angry and he strikes the rock, which was disobedience to God, and obviously Moses never entered the promised land. But ten times, they complained against God. They, God, they complained, we have no meat. So God provided a massive storm of quail to come upon them. And they had meat overflowing of quail. And still, daily manna. Let's go on. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Israel had seen the Lord perform ten plagues in Egypt. They had seen God give bountiful provisions. I mean, when they left Egypt, the Egyptians were like, here, take our jewelry, take this, take this, take this. And that would all be obviously used later on in the building of the tabernacle. The Lord changed the heart of a king to expel them from the land. The Lord parted a Red Sea, providing a way of escape on dry land. The Lord provided food and meat in the desert. He provided water from a rock. He, provided, he gave them a leader who loved the people and interceded for them. When God says, I'm done with them. God gave dietary restrictions and hygiene and sanitation laws to ensure that they maintained good health. It also tells us later on that their sandals never wore out. Their clothing never wore out in the desert. Sure, it was old, but it still worked. They were attacked and God protected them. 
God defeated formidable foes, though they had no military expertise. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They knew nothing about being a warrior or being victorious. Let's look with me at verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me, saying to them, verse 28, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land. Concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. The very thing that prevents you, prevents me, from moving forward in my spiritual walk with God is a discontentment with Him. And it is a crime. Bringing great wrath to the Lord. Can discontentment be against God's man? Could it be against a, a godly leader? I mean, look with me in Numbers 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness, and wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Moses, what are you doing? The Israelites were complaining against their leader, and so doing, complaining against God. Their discontentment they would heap upon Moses and Aaron, and in some instances they would seek to stone them. It could be, you know, in some instances of an individual complaining against, like a pastor, complaining against a leader in their life, and, and they're, you know, they're not understanding. There's God put Moses in place. God put Aaron in place. And if God puts someone in place as an authority and we complain against them, we better be careful we're not complaining against God. The Israelites didn't want to admit their own errors and their own unthankful heart. They would rather blame someone else. It's their fault all of this hardship is happening. It's their fault that our children and our wives and all the suffering we're going through, it's God's leaders. They didn't want to understand in their own heart what God had done, and they were just discontented. In fact, it could even be a, a private murmuring at your house, Deuteronomy 1, 26 and 27. We'll look there, Deuteronomy 1. Verse 26, notwithstanding you would not go up, Deuteronomy 1, just for those who are turning there, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, verse 27, and you, and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. There's a private murmuring. You can complain, an individual may complain, Pastor, oh, what an idiot he is. He doesn't know what he's doing, blah, 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 blah. 
better be careful. You could be complaining against God. They're complaining against God's man. Adam and Eve ultimately were discontented with God. In verse 28 of Deuteronomy 1, Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart. Here's something that happens. When you're discontented, you are contagious. You're a cancer. What did Eve do? She went to Adam and convinced him to try the fruit. She couldn't just partake of it privately, secretly. No, she has to go to Adam and have him partake. She had to include others in her wayward action, in her complaining and murmuring. This is exactly what happened in Israel. Ten spies disheartened an entire nation. Later in Israel's history, unthankfulness and discontentment would lead her to refuse the Lord, the Lord's anointed prophet, and demand a king. They didn't want Samuel anymore. Now, Samuel's sons had sinned greatly and caused great uh, reproach upon the office of the priesthood, but, but nevertheless, they said, we want a king. We don't want God leading us anymore. Unthankfulness is ever growing in the heart of God's children. Unthankfulness brings with it, as seen previously, a great depression and yearning for something or somewhere else. This is exactly what we see in our materialistic world with all the gadgets and gizmos a person could desire. There's a great increase in depression and mental anguish in our world. There's a great search for happiness apart from looking to God. There's an, there's all, uh, this is all indicative of a heart that is fixated upon the forbidden fruit more than the, the God of the fruit. There's a reasoning For a lot of the church growth seminars and books that speak of conforming to the culture and changing away from preaching on sin. The foundational focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the Creator God are missing. If we look at the fruit more than the God of the fruit, we get discontented and we begin to complain. A crowd or lack thereof does not demand that God is missing or present. How do I solve unthankfulness? Here's the cure. Look with me at Psalm 27, our opening passage. I had, while I was in Bible college, this statement a professor made with me. I can't remember who made it. But he says, you can't steal satisfied sheep. (laughs) If God's feeding you, it's hard to steal them away when you're being fed. In Psalm 27, verse 3, for one thing have I desired of the Lord that, I will, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises in the Lord." When I, stalk, when, I, when I was thinking about this verse and this passage of here, you know what, it returns me to the dependence of Adam and Eve upon God. God promises a help from trouble. He provi- provi- promises a shelter to turn to when the hurt comes. He promises to be the one to lift me up when I'm down. He is the one to elevate me above my enemies. He is the one to change my song from sadness to joy. He also, so we find in the cure that I understand, I get back to the God of the fruit and I begin to see what he's provided as he did to Adam and Eve. 
But we also see in verses 8 through 10, when thou sayest, seek, verse 8 of Psalm 27, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not. Neither forsake me, O God, of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. There are times where a parent will not understand their child. And it could be that a parent is selfish and will abandon their child. But the God says, listen, I will not abandon you. What did God do with Adam and Eve when they still behaved in unthankfulness? He still pursued them. He's a steadfast father. You want to see something else that happens? Verse 12, Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. There's a futile enemy. Listen, there are many enemies, much like Joshua and Caleb encountered, who murmured and were discontented against the Lord and were outright hostile to the things of God. And David cries for deliverance. And we know that God would come through. You know what we ought to do rather than looking at the discontentment and lack of what I have in my life? Which is also noted as a lack of faith. Your discontentment and your murmuring or complaining is ultimately a lack of faith. Look with me at first, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Second Peter chapter one verse three. We are to look to him who provides all I need for life and for godliness. Second Peter one verse three. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. You see, Adam and Eve had a perfect knowledge of Him that called them. That called them to a job to do. They had everything they needed for life and godliness. Whereby, verse 4, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He is the very source of life we look at. He is the very guide of godliness. And all of this comes to the knowledge of Him. What had Adam and Eve done? They looked at the fruit, not the God of the fruit. As I said in our month's verse, Psalm 27, 13, I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God's desire to prevent your fainting or destruction or your great discouragement is to have eyes open that observe and take notice of the goodness of the Lord. What about in the face of opposition? What about when people are murmuring and complaining against you? In Numbers 14, verses 6 through 9, and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. 
The land had provision. It had peace. It had partnership. If everyone had faith in God, we can move forward. And the goodness of God was right before them. But it demanded, Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen a heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Eve needed to say, I'm so happy with God, I don't need that fruit. An application of what we've spoken about this morning, was not this the same God who created Adam and Eve in his image? Was not this the same God who created man at the pinnacle of his creation, forming a complete earth ready for his arrival? Was not this the same God who guaranteed provision, peace, and a lifelong partner? I want to ask you the question, where did God change in all of these scenarios? Where did he change for Joshua and Caleb and the children of Israel entering the promised land? He didn't. Their hearts did. I want to ask you a question today. Where does God change in your predicaments and struggles to provide for you? Where does God change? I understand that God changes not. It's not God that's changing. It's my heart that's changing. Why are we so prone to wander and doubt the goodness of God? In Psalm 40, verse 10, I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Rather than focusing on your predicament, focus on the Lord and his goodness. If I want to mature and grow in my walk with the Lord, if you want to mature and grow and fight against Satan, then you must publicly and privately praise the Lord. You cannot. When God does something, we ought to tell others about it. There ought not to be this quietness of what God does in our lives. Because if I don't praise the Lord, then I'm fighting the fight for Satan. In Psalm 22, 2, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation while I praise thee. Adam and Eve, oh, I don't have this fruit. I mean, God said every of them. So we should have everything. Oh, I'm going to have this fruit. What happened to the ten spies? God is so hard. God is too much. It's easy to complain. But Joshua and Caleb said, God before us. They're bred for us. Let's move forward. Let's advance on what God's given us. The peace and the prosperity and the provision and the partnership. God's given it all. Let's praise him. Let's honor him. Let's do more. And you ask someone today about what, how God is good in their life. No one says anything about God anymore. We're good to complain, but we don't want to praise him. Because we're so discontent, when we're so focused on ourselves and our own selfishness, we can't see the goodness of God. And hence we're fainting. The very thing that starts all of our troubles was a failure to appreciate the Lord's goodness. It was a lust. But a lust that found discontentment with God's goodness. Adam and Eve, Israel, and you and I fall into the wrath and judgment of God because of our unthankfulness and provision of God. In conclusion, you can't be a good Christian and fail to give both private and public praise to the goodness of God. It ought to be when you come to church and praise time comes, man, you've got something to praise God about. Oh, I'm just not a quiet person. I, I, I don't speak. Get over yourself. Start praising God. Start appreciating what God has given to you and stop complaining about what you don't have. When you're discouraged, look to the goodness of God. 
the very foundation of your faith is found in an appreciation of the Lord and who he is. Stop being a, an agent of Satan in your discontentment. In the midst of trials, start looking to the Lord for the path forward. Look to him for your fulfillment and joy. If you want to be an ally and friend of Satan, then don't praise the Lord publicly. Complain against God. Complain against the leaders. Complain against the pastor in your life. Move forward. That's okay. You're a friend of Satan. Go that way. If you want to steal God's goodness from your life, then be unthankful. Otherwise, start publicly praising the Lord and stop your complaining and critical spirit. How do you want to steal God's goodness? It's simple. Be unthankful. You know what? We have a great gift. We have a God who loves us, who pursues us. And if anyone will, are willing to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, God declares, my child. If you repent of your sins and place your faith exclusively in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you're born again. And Christian, we are stealing God's goodness. I am so guilty of it. God continues to work on my heart about failing to see His goodness. I faint and I become discouraged because I don't look at His goodness. It's simple. Psalm 27, 13. Maybe God has been working on your heart this morning. We're going to come to the time of invitation. We'll do a silent one. We won't have any music or anything play, but I really want to challenge your hearts. How are you doing in just being a thankful person for what God has put into your life? Ann Steele could thank God. A mark of our maturity is not the trials we go through. A mark of our maturity is thankfulness in the midst of trials. With, head bowed, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just trust between you and the Lord. Just pray and talk with God, however God may have spoken to your heart this morning. Pray that we'd be a thankful people, a praiseworthy people, people that are willing to praise God. We'd be a people that thank Him for what a wonderful Savior He is. And stop being discontented. Just see.